Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you, as always, another Tuesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Church of Corinth, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. You know, as I was on my way over here this evening, I got to thinking more about Paul. Did he have any idea that when he was writing this letter to be sent to uh, the Church of Corinth from Ephesus, that it would be part of the canon of the New Testament, that it would be impacting lives 2,000 years from now. Every once in a while I think about that. Did the inspired authors of the New Testament text know in their human capacity and human understanding that 2,000 years later we would be drawing from the richness of these inspired words? I don't know. Sometimes I find myself just deeply moved by that. We live a life and we live it within this very small world we live in, right? <laughs> we don't see beyond today. And yet, if what we do is inspired, it will impact people generations from now. And now, are we going to do this in the same manner of Paul? Well, of course not, because Paul <laughs> was one of those original apostles. So I'm not putting us in in that context. But my point here is quite simply, if we live an inspired life, we will impact people that we don't even see. And so we learn from Paul. We draw from the way in which Paul went about his business, right? So yeah, here you have a man who's just this incredible theologian who writes these letters that are incredibly practical. And I think that's when theology is at its best. Remember, we define theology as what? Fides, corns, intellectum, faith, seeking, understanding. When you are theologizing, what are you doing? You are seeking to better understand how God is calling you to live out your faith. Don't fall into the trap thinking that theology is some abstract discipline. Yes, it touches upon some very dense subject matter, but it is always at its best when that very dense subject matter is brought down in layman terms so that we might be uh, better Christians and Catholics because of it. Huh? And so this is certainly what Paul does. He gets into rich themes, but he's constant in probing the mind and heart of God. Constant. All right, speaking of probing, what I want to do is go back into chapter 2 of this first letter to the church of Corinth and read verses 10 to 16. Now we read, I was with Debbie yesterday, and we read verses 6 to 16, but I want to go back to these verses, read 10 to 16, and touch upon some things I did not yet talk about. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to, again, chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of the man which is in him? 
so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who possess the Spirit. The unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. An important phrase we will look at. The spiritual man judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen to that. How about this phrase, the Spirit searches everything? Paul wants us to see that the Spirit is uniquely qualified to probe the mind of God and make known His wise plans, huh? And how does the Spirit do this? Well, the Spirit is our interior guide. The Spirit enlightens us about the spiritual gifts and truths that God has given in Christ. And what about this last verse here? For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So here we are called to allow the Spirit of God within us to probe the mind and heart of God that we too might be enlightened and in turn might be able to better discern. And again, the word discern just means to to come to understand. And as we do so, we are instructed by God and we in turn instruct others, right? I think we touched upon this yesterday. Jesus told the apostles to baptize and to teach, to sacramentalize and instruct. This was the commissioning. And so in the light of this, what I thought we could do this evening is go back into two spiritual works of mercy. And those two spiritual works of mercy are instructing the ignorant and counseling the doubtful. Now, I just touched upon the word instruct, so you know why we're talking about instructing the ignorant, but counseling the doubtful, which, which phrase does that apply to? Well, to spiritually discern, because ultimately to counsel the doubtful, as we'll talk about, has everything to do with discernment. Now, before we get into these two spiritual works of mercy, maybe a word about how we think about works of mercy in our uh, Catholic faith tradition. There are seven corporal works of mercy and seven spiritual works of mercy. The seven corporal works of mercy deal with uh, a person's material need, right? All of which, of course, are found in sacred scripture. Shelter the homeless, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, okay? The spiritual works of mercy deal with those who are in spiritual need. Admonish the sinner, pray for the living and the dead. Instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful. Okay, so you have 14 works of mercy, all 14 works of mercy in our Catholic faith tradition are rooted in sacred scripture. Now again, we will look at spiritual works of mercy two and three because if nothing else, they are at least referenced in these verses. All right, so how about instructing the ignorant? What does it mean to instruct the ignorant? The word instruction comes from the Latin instruere, okay? It means to build up, or even more literally, to pile up. 
In English, there is also the notion here of strewing something. Thus, to instruct means to do what? In its most literal translation, to disperse knowledge or to build someone up in what is learned. Now, these days, you hear the word ignorant, and it comes across as a very negative term, or it has a very uh, demeaning or pejorative sense. And thus to say that someone is ignorant, in contemporary terms at least, is to say someone is stupid or foolish, and we don't want to talk about that, right? But I do think if we're going to get at this particular work of mercy, we have to get beyond the contemporary context. Be, be mindful of it when you're talking about it, okay? But get underneath the word itself, because the word uh, ignorant simply refers to someone who does not know something. And while, yes, some ignorance can be said to be inexcusable and that a person should know better, it can also be more innocent that one simply does not happen to know something and can benefit from instruction in a particular area, right? And this is really what is meant by the spiritual work of mercy, instruct the ignorant. Could we not say that all of us can benefit from proper instruction by those who know more about a certain subject or issue than we do? Could we not all agree on that? And while instructing and educating folks in the area of our expertise is a good thing, for sure, it is something greater, a work of mercy, right? When the knowledge conferred is something essential towards what? But saving us. Now, in speaking of instructing the ignorant as a spiritual work of mercy, at least two things are meant here. First, because the intellect is a faculty of the soul, our human spirit is nourished by all instruction. Instruction nourishes the soul. The intellect or mind, the will, and imagination or memory. These are faculties that help nourish the soul. So instructing the ignorant is important because to do so is to nourish the soul. Now, second and more particularly, the church also has in mind the kind of instruction that most benefits the soul, of course, instruction in religious truth rooted in the Holy Scriptures and in the sacred tradition of the teachings of the church. Again, <laughs> if secular instruction can benefit us unto worldly ends, how much greater the benefits of religious instruction that has heavenly and eternal rewards. Maybe you're a mathematician, and you're an excellent mathematician because of the very good math professors you had in college. Or maybe you are an engineer, and you are a very good engineer because of the engineer professors you had in college. You should be indebted to those professors who handed on, who instructed you in your particular area or your particular expertise. An instruction that was noble. If that is true, then could we not say instruction for the soul is not only equally important, but more important as we put it in the context of our salvation. So the goal of religious instruction then is to always place one into a saving relationship with God. And thus the goal is not to simply help people know about the Lord, but know the Lord, and by that relationship with Him in the truth to be saved. This is something we talked about yesterday evening, was it not? It is not enough to know about someone, but if you're going to really want to get to know that person, you have to encounter the person, right? You have to develop a relationship with that person. 
I mean, I can tell you a lot about me right now. Maybe what I'm wearing, the kind of shoes that I have on, the color of my hair, all those things. But if you don't spend time with me, you will never really know me. Okay, now I know (laughs) to some degree, if you are a faithful listener, you have probably gotten to know me quite well, even if you are thousands of miles away, because I try to bring a, a certain personalism to this radio program. The point here is to understand when it comes to religious instruction, you're always wanting to focus not on the thing, but the person. And that, of course, is the person of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. The observation has been made that Psalm 119 is the longest of all the Psalms. It goes on for 176 verses. And what does it praise? But the glory of God's truth, which is more precious than gold, many times refined. And this is what we have to pass on, the glory of God's truth. This is what religious instruction should also always include. Now, what's more, this work of mercy also brings to light this great emphasis from the church on the need for parents to be equipped for their role as primary educators of their children. Does it not? One of the exciting things today, and I never miss an opportunity to talk about it within this context, is that we are seeing a healthy rise in very effective catechetical programs catechetical programs that are really strengthening parents and not only their formation, but subject matter that is invaluable to their children. So it really is essential for parents to hand on the saving truths of the faith to their children. What is that great passage that comes to us from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you were a parent, what an honor we have been given as primary educators of our children to build up, right? To build up and to disperse knowledge about Jesus Christ and His church and to hand on uh, knowledge about Jesus Christ and His church to our children. What a great vocation, a vocation we should be attentive to again if we are a parent to each and every moment of each and every day. My dear friends, instructing the ignorant is a great and wonderful spiritual work of mercy, whereby souls are saved. Knowledge of God has an unestimable value on the soul, if again that knowledge is ordered in wisdom. All right, with that, let us turn our attention to the other spiritual work of mercy, counseling the doubtful, which certainly has a direct relationship with how one discerns in and through the Spirit of God. In other words, a direct relationship to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 16. Now, at first glance, counseling the doubtful may seem rather similar to instructing the ignorant in everything we just talked about. However, teaching has learning as its goal, while counseling aims to assist with making right decisions. Certainly, giving counsel often includes some aspects of teaching, such as providing information and and perspective, we could say, but its primary purpose is to assist a person in coming to a decision. And this distinction can actually be found in the root meaning 
of the word counsel. Counsel comes from the Latin concilium, concilium, which translates as with decision. So to counsel means to assist someone in the act of what? Deciding. As such, we should note here that <laughs> to assist someone in the act of deciding is always going to be connected with the virtue of prudence. What is prudence? We've heard that word. I haven't talked about prudence in quite some time. Prudence is that virtue which directs particular human acts towards a good end, right? In modern usage, prudence, and we could say by extension, counsel, has often been equated with what? But caution. But prudence is not caution, but the virtue that sees the best way forward given the goals in mind. The word prudence in its Latin origin literally translates as sagaciousness. What does sagaciousness or sagacity mean? Well, to be acutely aware, to be acutely aware of the kind of long-term impact your decision has on yourself and the people around you. So while it is true that both prudence and counsel would avoid rash decisions until things have been properly considered, we could say, the prudent response to a situation is not always the cautious one, but the one that sees the end in mind. Sometimes the prudent thing to do involves a bold or zealous response, if that bold or zealous response is what God is calling you to do. Now, since we are speaking of counseling the doubtful as a spiritual work of mercy, the goal in this case refers to that which is moral and rooted in our final end of holiness and salvation. So the work of giving counsel does not mean just counseling the skeptic, but ordering with the end in mind. While a doubtful person may be skeptical of certain truths, the doubt we speak of here in the language of the church is more about bringing a person to make a sound decision. Again, another important point of clarification. Here again, the Latin helps us. The word doubt comes from the Latin word dubious. What does dubious mean? Uncertain. Now, equally important is the Latin prefix duo, which of course means two, right? The doubtful are what but the undecided, those of two minds on a certain matter, or in another phrase, those who are double-minded on things. So in the end, this is a spiritual work of mercy that helps the undecided or those of two minds on something to come to a good and upright decision rooted in the call to holiness and the goal of attaining heaven by God's grace. Do you see what happens once you start breaking down these spiritual works of mercy? We begin to see by the grace of God the wisdom of why we have them. Remember, my friends, these are spiritual works of mercy, mercy. What have we said about this before? Love is mercy when it encounters suffering and poverty and seeks to do something about it. What does poverty mean but to be without? So this particular spiritual work of mercy assists someone who is without huh, a firm direction in their life or without clarity on an important matter in their life. We should really start to see and appreciate these spiritual truths these spiritual works of mercy as encountering poverty. And also never forget, anytime we are feeding poverty, we too are always being fed.
because the logic of God's love is when you give, you receive. We could say the logic of giving always has on its other side receiving. This is the wonderment of God. This is the unconventional way of God. And why, why I just love these truths, because every time you think you've got something figured out, there's always something more to be had. And that way God calls us to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So what a beautiful work of mercy this is to help better orient others towards their heavenly goal by assisting them in choosing the most virtuous and holiest way possible, the most holiest way forward in a maybe difficult or puzzling situation. We should say something else here. If we are to be equipped to provide this beautiful work of mercy, we must first be docile to the will and mind of God. We first must be well instructed in heavenly wisdom which again is often paradoxical and contrary to the way the world thinks. This again is what Paul wants us to see in his first two chapters in his letter to Corinth. The capacity to give spiritual counsel grows out of a deep prayer life, grows out of a careful study of sacred scripture, and certainly we could add the experience of living as a faithful Christian in the world. Maybe we can turn to Paul's letter to Titus here, chapter 2, verse 1 and 7 to 8. And as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. I love that last verse. <laughs> with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Gosh, every time I read sacred scripture, I just want to say amen. Don't just want to say amen. <laughs> and so be it. We really ought to uh, regard this particular spiritual work of mercy at the highest level. The highest level. To be counseled and to counsel others. This should encourage us to always be more deeply rooted in the decision to follow Jesus, to choose the Lord and the things awaiting us in heaven, to leave behind double-minded ways and duplicity for what is true, good, and beautiful. Now, as I'm looking up at the clock, we're running out of time, but before we wrap up, we should say something about a few virtues that always ought to accompany these works of mercy. And those are the virtues of gentleness, reverence, and silence. Again, the virtue of gentleness is not a soft pat on the back, but the attitude by which we are free from harshness and violence. So gentleness is not weakness then, but the attitude by which we free ourselves from any excess chatter. Have you ever failed in that area? I'm raising my hand right now in the studio. Alongside of gentleness, we have reverence, that virtue of piety, piety of the soul that virtue which creates space for God to work in each moment and in each encounter, that virtue that never imposes and devours, but always proposes and listens. So the way of silence properly belongs to gentleness and reverence as a virtue, as a virtue because it is the act by which we refrain from saying something, even if we might have something to say. 
The virtue of silence understands that what we have to say should only be said when we have first listened and listened well. As I have noted before on this topic, such virtues as gentleness, reverence, and silence are the virtues that help build the bridge from which truth shall pass and any and all good spiritual direction. Brothers and sisters, we listen more to speak better. Now, in our culture today, sadly, these virtues are not held in high esteem. But what does that matter in the end? Because, again, what did Paul just say? What does Paul talk about? We live our lives not according by the world's standards. And be assured, the world wishes to impose its standard upon you. You must do this or you must do that. There's very little that is an invitation in the world today, especially when it comes to morality. So we don't live our lives according to the world's standards, but the standards set by God himself. Standards that are first lived by God himself. And is this not our confident assurance that we are called to live in these virtues? Because they are the very virtues that Jesus Christ lived and embodied in his time here on earth. It's interesting. Any time you read the Beatitudes or about these important virtues, remember that they were first lived by God himself, the God-man Jesus Christ. And that, what did he say? Imitate me, right? We are to imitate these virtues. And to our vehicle of context this evening, especially when we are in the business of what? Instructing the ignorant and counseling the doubtful. All right, that being said, that does wrap up our reflection for this evening and our series of reflections on chapter 2. Huh? Verse 16 was the end of chapter 2, so we are done with that. Uh, tomorrow we will pick up with chapter 3. And again, Thursday is Special Topic Thursday, so if you have any questions, be sure to send those questions to me. I have received a few more questions since last Thursday, and I am looking those over. So if you want this program to be what it needs to be at your service, please continue to send your questions to me. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening a gift to just reflect into the richness and beauty of your inspired word. And this evening, Lord, we took the opportunity to reflect into those two beautiful spiritual works of mercy, those works which include instructing the ignorant and counseling the doubtful. You've called us to just not only be instructors and guides, but also to receive a good instruction and a good spiritual guidance. So we just pray for the grace to, to live in these two spiritual works of mercy. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.